I want to begin with a question, and a question may be, you may say, well, you're, aren't you just speaking to the choir? Well, okay, I, I always am speaking to the choir when I speak here. You may think, well, this, this isn't for us, but believe me, it is. Just trust me on this one. This message is for everyone in this room. And the question is this, do you know what your church believes? Do you know what your church believes? I have sometimes been amazed at, sometimes I'll hear a comment, uh, someone will ask a question or make a comment, and I'm thinking to myself, this person has never ever studied what we believe on that subject. And it's sort of disheartening to me because we have, as you can see here, tons of information on our, our beliefs, what we believe, CDs, DVDs, all kind, just a lot of information here. I've sometimes heard maybe a reference to, to heaven, going to heaven. And I thought, wait a minute, don't, how long have you been in church? You've been in church 20 years and you still believe you go to heaven when you die, you know? And, uh, you know, just, of course, now, let me tell you one little story that always upset me about my mother. My mother would, uh, we quit celebrating Christmas when I was 12. They began to figure out some things about the holy days and begin to realize that it wasn't all about Jesus. So I was 12 when we quit celebrating Christmas. And my mother, that, you know, that, that was my parents' convictions. I mean, it was been 30 years, you know, we didn't celebrate Christmas. But my mother would always send out Christmas cards. <laughs> and it always bothered me, you know. I thought, you know, Mom, why? <laughs> we don't keep this. We haven't kept it in 30 years. Why are you still sending out the Christmas cards? <laughs> but, and I don't doubt her conversion or anything like that, but here's what I think. I think, you know, the scripture that says, come out of her, my people. I think there are limits. We have our limitations, all of us, about how far we will come out. Be it concerning pagan holidays, be it the Sabbath, you know, Lord, I will give you this much time, but that's, I'm not going to give you all of my time. Um, holy days, you know, we have our limitations. Sin, sometimes we have our limitations. You know, we're not, you know, maybe, I, okay, I'm going I'm to do this this much, but I'm not totally committed about coming out of that. I'm not totally committed. We have our limitations. Come out of her, my people. We all have our limitations. Now, so the question is, do you know what your church believes? If I were to go visit a church tomorrow and ask the same question, you know, do you know what your church believes? I don't know what kind of answer I would get. One of the reasons I do the program is that really in the Bible is because I am challenging what people think is in the Bible. And I sometimes, you, in order to make people think, you've got to do that. Is that really in the Bible? You know, your cherished belief systems, is it really? Because I'm, I'm deliberately trying to get people to think. But if I were to ask, you know, what, what does your church believe, you know, tomorrow? Beyond, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Beyond that, what does your church believe? I think many people don't really know what they believe. And here's the, the sad part. They don't care. 
<laughs> I don't know what I believe and I don't really care what I... It's not important. I'm saved and heaven bound. I made my decision. I, I raised my hand. I got myself saved. And it's not really important what, I, what my church believes. It's sort of the mentality. It's not a priority. Most people, when they go to church, do not bring their Bibles. It's not a priority. It's not really that important what my church believes. Now, for us, it is important. And there's three things here. You've got to know what your church believes. You've got to live what your church believes or teaches. Because if you're not, that makes you a hypocrite. That makes you a poor representative in, you know, of Christ, ambassadors for Christ. And third, you've got to be, be able to explain it to others, what your church believes. Now, those three sort of go in. They're stacked on top of each other. But you've got to know what your church believes. You've got to live what your church believes. And you've got to explain it, be able to explain it to others. I think that's a definition of a healthy church. A healthy church will have those three characteristics going on. Uh, I mentioned, you know, I've always had a hard time. I think I did this at the seminar in the Infuse program. But for me personally, I've always, that third one, being able to explain it to others, I've always had a hard time in that area. And one of the reasons I do the program, is that really in the Bible, is because I've never really felt that good at personally, you know, sharing my faith. So I sort of compensate. And so I, I go through all of this work of, of, you know, trying to do it on a larger scale. But it's because I've never really felt that good at personal one-on-one. -on -one. But that's me. You know, that's the way I compensate. When one area is lacking, you overachieve in another area to make up for the void. I don't think that's wrong. I think God probably would say, well, why don't you do something that you, you know, can fill in that void? Okay, know what your church believes. For us, there is no excuse. Okay? If you don't know what we believe, there's three things going on in your life. Number one, you're lazy. Number two, you're too busy doing something else. Number three, you're wasting God's time, you're wasting my time, and you're wasting the church's time if you don't know what the church believes. Um, and in a way, I would ask, why are you here if you don't know what your church believes? And yet, a lot of people, I think, fit into that category. I know people, well, again, I'm sort of switching back and forth with this group and other churches and things like that. But again, a lot of people don't really know, they don't care, and it's really not important. In any environment, there is homework, if you want to learn. Now, I don't know if I'm going to start assigning homework, but I'm thinking about it. <laughs> because, you know, like, I, like, do you ever see me lurking, looking through these and taking these home? You know, often you do. I, I'll take five or six or eight of these homes, and, and, and what I do during the week is I listen to them. Angela tells about listening to all kinds of, on her tractor. It's not a John Deere tractor, though, is it? It's a Kubota. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but she has a cassette player in the tractor. <laughs> But I listen to these. I drive a lot, and I'm listening. I'm feeding my mind on truth. And I'm challenging, you know, I'm, I'm asking, are you doing the same thing? Or are you listening to the jungle music of our, you know? Now, I do that also sometimes. I, I, get, I get hooked up on my 70s music and 
And I found that's addictive, by the way. I can't get away from it. Song in your head over and over. But I thought, why don't I lay this aside, my favorite music, and why don't I feed it on this? But sometimes it's discouraging not to see the stuff taken. And I sometimes wonder, okay, are people studying the material that we have? Do they take it home? So maybe I could, you know, assign homework. I could say, okay, study this one. Should you be baptized? Or why you need the Spirit of God? And then we're going to talk about it next week. <laughs> or you can do it on your own. You can do it on your own. That's what I expect you to do it, on, to know what your church believes on any of these subjects. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 says this. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 it says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Man, that's powerful. Study to so, show yourself approved. Are you approved by God? I mean, does God approve of what you're doing, your beliefs, your convictions? Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. I threw that in there. Acts 17 and verse 11. Acts 17 and verse 11. It says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. That's parable. They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They didn't search it to prove that it wasn't so. Sometimes you have people with that mentality. I'm going to prove this wrong, but that's okay. It's okay. You can go down that vein if you like to. I'm going to disprove what that guy just said. Um, again, one minister used to say, don't believe me. Believe your Bible. Believe your Bible. Now, there is a concept of, if we don't know what the church believes, there is a concept of wasting time. I've seen people waste their time by coming to church, coming here. You know, maybe they came for five or six years. And here's the thing. If they would have studied what we believed, they would have known, okay, that's not where I want to be. This is not what I believe, or this is not what I'm willing to believe. Sometimes it goes down that vein. I, I'm not willing to believe. I'm not willing to do that. But either way, it's important to know what your church believes. Now, why this is important is this. It's what I call the edge. There is an edge that you have. This may sound arrogant, but I don't mean it that way. But you're sitting in a church that can systematically prove what they believe. Okay? Now, here's the rub. I'm not going to prove it for you. You have to prove it for yourself. Now, now, how do you do that? How you do that, and this is what I want to encourage you to do, take these. Now, look, look at these programs that we have. Knowing Jesus, knowing God. How important is that? Take them home. Listen to them. The epistles of Paul. Man, that's a powerful study. Uh, all of these studies are, and, and some of these Bible studies that I call systematic Bible studies, um, the, a lot of this is Christian educational ministry. And that gives you a clue. Okay, Christian educational ministry. It's there to teach. Look, the Sabbath Bible study. Powerful study. Uh, systematic Bible study. Something I want to say about that. Okay, what, what, 
what is a systematic Bible study? Let me explain what it is. This one's on the feast, the days of unleavened bread. This is what I mean by a systematic Bible study and why this is so important. All right, here's, I'm in the middle of the study here. Here's question number one. Who instituted the seven annual festivals, including the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Leviticus 23, 1 through 2. A systematic Bible study does this. It asks the question, you get the answer from the Bible. The Bible gives you the answer. This is what I'm talking about, a systematic, this is critical. All right. Therefore, whose feasts are they? Verse 2. The question is asked. The Bible gives you the answer. Are God's people to keep his feast forever? Exodus 12 and verse 14. The question is asked. The Bible gives you the answer. Did Jesus as a child keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Luke 2 and verse 41. The question is asked. This is a, what you call a systematic Bible study. You get the Bible. You get the answer from the Word of God. Now, I don't want to sound, again, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything like that, but reality is this. If you went to a church and said, I want a systematic Bible study on why we go to church on Sunday. In other words, Jesus change the Sabbath to Sunday, turn to such and such. <laughs> They're not going to be able to give it to you. Okay? If you said, I want a systematic Bible study on why we celebrate Christmas, I'm not going to be able to give it to you. I want a systematic. Now, you could, there are books written about why they do these things. But I'm, I'm not talking about people's opinions and stuff. I'm talking about the question is asked, the Bible answers the question. You point, it points to the Bible and says, okay, at Jesus' birth at around December 25th, you know, swap gifts, you know, all that stuff. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you've got to go back to the Word of God. I want a systematic Bible study on Easter and the celebration of Easter and, and the resurrection. Why do we do it that way? Again, there are books written, but, but what I'm talking about, you know, Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's resurrection. No, death till he come. Big difference between death and, and life, death and resurrection. Why do you think Paul said, by the celebration of the, the Passover and unleavened bread, why do we, you know, you do show the Lord's death. Why do you think that's so important about showing his death? I'll tell you. What caused his death? Your sins. My sins. The focus is on what caused his death. There's a lot of people that run around. Oh, I got life because of Jesus. Resurrection. But do they know what their sins are? By keeping... As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. It's critical. It's a matter of what's in the word of God. If I were to go and I say, I'd say, I want a systematic Bible study on heavenly retirement. I'm not going to be able to give it to you. Now, again, there are books written about heaven and how, you know, 
Heaven is real. There's movies that are made about that subject. But the systematic Bible study was not really, they're not going to be able to take you there. You know, the first place you start with a systematic Bible study on heaven is John 3.13. No man has ascended to heaven. That's Jesus. That's a quote by Jesus. Okay. All right. I want a systematic Bible study on the immortality of the soul. Proving that man has an immortal soul. They're not going to be able to give it to you. I want a systematic Bible study on the idea that people burn for all eternity in hell and never burn up. That is tied into the immortality of the soul, by the way. You know that. But they, they're not going to be able to give that to you. Again, there are books written. There are concepts. There are, there are tons of sermons preached about, about the wicked burning for all eternity. But I'm talking about a systematic study. So that's the edge that you have. And I sometimes think people don't appreciate that edge as they should. You're sitting in a church that can systematically prove what it believes. It's, that's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. Now, I can just hear someone say, well, I want to hear about grace. You got a systematic Bible study on grace. Listen, you know, I understand grace. I understand, you know, I can't earn my salvation. But here's what I understand about grace. It's Romans 2 and verse 13. It says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. It is the doers that come in a, into a position to be justified by God's grace. Now, why is that? Because it reveals where your heart's at. It's not, it's not the law that, that justifies you. It's God's grace that justifies the sinner. But it is the doers that come into a position to be justified by God's grace. It is that willingness, you know, that surrender that reveals where a person's heart is at. Now, I want to tell you something about grace. I find grace in a lot of places. I find grace in the fact that God's not going to burn people for all eternity in a lake of fire. To me, that's grace. That's a gracious thing that God would do, that he's just going to destroy them. The wicked will be destroyed. So I find grace in the fact that God's not going to burn people for all eternity. I find grace in God's Sabbath day because God says, take a break, man. You need a break. <laughs> you know, the, the Israelites, they were, they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They worked seven days a week making bricks. You know, I can relate to that as a stonemason. Making bricks. Not seven days a week, but I can relate to the, the anguish. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to the anguish of that type of work. <laughs> you know, 100 degrees outside, you know, just profusely, you know, just, just sweating and just worn out from laying rock or at least helping lay rock or whatever. And when God comes along and says he reinstituted his Sabbath and said, and liberated them from, from bondage, he reinstituted his Sabbath, and he said, now I want you to take a day off. Those people didn't complain about that, by the way. They, did. <laughs> they didn't say, oh, I just wanted to work seven days a week. No, no, not at all. You know, I've always been, been convict, convicted of the fact that the reason our society doesn't appreciate the Sabbath more is because they're lazy by nature. They're just, they're not doing what I do six days a week. It's not a boast, it's just a fact. You know, when you work, 
you know, when you, when, when by one o'clock in the evening, you're, you've already, after lunch at one o'clock, you've already worked eight hours and you're just getting started, and you work till nine o'clock and then you're totally exhausted and your battery is dead, that's what real work is. Um, but, but, you know, just, just lazy. I, I was, we went to uh, our anniversary, we went to Paint Bank. You ever heard of that? Paint Bank? You don't know what you're missing. Uh, <laughs> but we stopped off by Dixie Caverns, and I haven't been there in 25 years, and I, I've forgotten about the steps. I mean, there's some steep steps going up and down in that cavern. Well, there's a little 12-year-old boy, fat boy. I thought he was going to die. I mean, he was huffing and puffing, and I thought, my goodness, I could have carried that boy and not been out of breath like that. <laughs> And, you know, our, our youth, you know, when you think, it, it's pathetic, their health condition, but when you think about what they're eating, McDonald's, you know, three or four times a day, you know, it, it's not good. It's not good at all. It's, uh, it's bad. But, you know, when you really work, and, and that reminds me, Teresa, did we date on Friday when we were dating? I don't remember going down to see you on Friday. Maybe a few times, but I think the reason was it was too. I was too tired. <laughs> I mean, it was too demanding, you know. <laughs> Dating, uh, forget that. But uh, <laughs> but I just don't remember going down there a lot on Friday. But I understand why. Just uh, so. The, the need for rest is a, is a sign of, you know, God's grace. And it was funny. It was four-something in the morning, and my phone made a ding. I thought, who is sending me a... But I was up. <laughs> and it was John sending me a message, something till five. And I, I text back, and he said, well, boy, you get up with the chickens like I do. You know? But... Uh, <laughs> I'm not always up that early, John. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what you were doing. What time do you go to work? Early? Seven in the morning. Okay. But you're, you're early. Really? That's good. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, but, you know, when you're, not getting, uh, when you're not getting rest, you really appreciate rest. And you appreciate the Sabbath. When you're not eating all the time. You really appreciate food. I, I just, I've been figuring this out just recently. I'm on the TWA stewardess diet right now. <laughs> now, why am I on that? I mean, I, knew, I need to lose some weight, no kidding. But our daughter, I mean, the daughter and, and my wife are on that diet. And, you know, it's, it's, it's for lunch, it's two eggs and three green beans <laughs> and a can of tomato juice. And I tell you, they, it's the best two boiled eggs and three green beans I've ever had in my life. I mean, I'm... We're working on the scaffolding. I'm thinking, when, it's 12 o'clock. When are they going to come down and let's eat? I'm helping the guys out. And, and finally, they get down, and we go into the basement. And, oh, I get my two boiled eggs. And my, I mean, it's wonderful. I didn't know I could like two boiled eggs and, and green beans that good. But it it's really tastes great. But, you know, the reason, you know, I, we sort of just, we eat all the time, you know, just, I need a little snack, I need this, I need that. I mean, we're driving along, and I'm eating and drinking, and, and so I'm trying to eliminate that and, and to lose some weight, but it's working. 
thank goodness. Starving yourself works. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I'm on that particular diet. But, I'm not. but anyway, holy days. I find grace in God's holy days. I mean, the understanding of what, man, what God is doing through mankind. What's it all about? Who am I? What is God? What happens when you die? What happens when people who are not saved die? You know, it's grace in those holy days. You know, if I believed that everything that goes on in my life was for the purpose of Christian retirement, it wouldn't make any sense. That, 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 that's what it's all about. Everything that you go through in life is for, for the rest of your life doing nothing. It has no meaning. has no purpose. You're put out to farm. It makes no sense. So I find grace in God's holy days. Now, the idea of going to church, do you know what your church believes? Let's take a look at a few... I pulled these out of people that didn't really know what they believed. John 4 and verse 21. It's a statement by Jesus. John 4 and verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you what, what you don't know. We worship what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jew. Now, of the Jews, excuse me. It's, it's just uh, it's a parable concept that Jesus says, you don't know what you're worship, worshiping. I think people can fit into that category. I don't know what I'm worshiping, but I am worshiping it every single day. I won't miss a day of church, but I really don't know what I'm worshiping. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange concept. It's a strange concept. Revelation 2 and verse 9 says, it's a warning here. It says, I, I know your works in tribulation and poverty. But you are rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now here you have people that don't know what they are. They think they're Jews, but they're not. I mean, how can this be? How, how can you, you don't know what you worship, and you don't know who I am. Let me tell you who I am. I am a human being, planet Earth, who has a relationship with God. That's what I am. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. What is a healthy church? Okay, you know what your church believes, and you're living what your church believes. You're living the life. You're living the life. In 2 Kings 17 and verse 26, let's turn back there, because this is sort of an example of something that happens here that I thought was interesting. 2 Kings 17 and verse 26 it's wherefore, wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nation which you have removed and placed us in the city of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry there one of the priests whom you brought forth thence, and let them go and dwell there, and teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests, whom they had carried away from Samaria, came to dwell in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Now you think, okay, he's teaching how to fear the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made gods of their own and put them in houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the city wherein they dwelt. And if you look at this little story, you go on down to verse 32. It says, so they feared the Lord. Okay, that's good. And made of themselves the lowest of them priests. That's not good. 
verse 33, they feared the Lord and served their own gods. Now, how, how, do, you, how do you explain this disconnect? It didn't take the teaching of, of God. It didn't take. They were not living what they believed. It's not enough just to be taught by the priest or to be taught by your preacher. It's not enough. It has to, you know, be put into practice, carried out. You know, it's not enough just to come here one day a week and think, okay, that's, that's all I need. And it's sort of a mentality that, that a lot of people have with church. You know, it's just, I got my one day of worship. But it's not enough. You know, it's sad that most people's religion doesn't get past their ears. And it doesn't have much of an effect on how they live their life. What is a healthy church? Okay, you know what the church believes. You're living what your church believes. And the third point was to be able to explain it to others. And this is really summarized by the Great Commission. To go ye therefore into all the world, that's Matthew 28 and verse 19, make disciples to be able to explain it to others. I think this is critical in not losing your conviction. One of the steps in not losing the conviction that you have is to be able to share and explain it to others. That's one of the ways we keep from losing. In other words, you just, you just can't sit in your glass cathedrals. You can't just sit in church, keep it all to yourself. It, you have to share it with others in some form or fashion. Now, how you do that, some people are good at one-on-one. On, one on one. Some people, you know, that, that may be how you do it. We all have different gifts and talents in being able to share it. Uh, like I said, I've never been good at one-on-one, -on -one, so I compensate with other things. But you, you, it's a critical to be able to share these things. I guess what I want to say in conclusion here is don't take the edge that you have for granted. Realize you are sitting in a church that can systematically prove what they believe from the Bible. And this is something that we all share. It's, it's, in order to share it, you gotta know what, it, what, what, what's, what is taught in the church. Uh, in a way, you have like a loaded gun with bullets, by the way. Of course, a loaded gun has bullets. <laughs> My father always said, you know, a gun is no good unless it's got bullets in it. But you have like a loaded gun, and, and don't take that for granted. And again, I can't prove it for you. You have to prove it for yourself. How? By doing your homework. What you do when you're not here is important. So, the question is, are you systematically, when you're not here, doing your homework?